millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. Welcome to the Fighting on Film podcast, the podcast all about classic and obscure war movies. From the Normandy landings to the days of chivalry and swords, if it's been captured on film, we're going to try and cover it. I'm Robbie of RM Military History. I'm Matthew Moss of Historical Firearms and the Armourer's Bench. Hello, welcome back to Fighting on Film. Now, last week we were at the We Have Ways of Making You Talk Festival for the third time running. It's our hat trick of appearances. And what a weekend it was, Matt. It was fantastic. Um, this time we were doing a talk rather than our usual war movie quiz as well, which was a little bit special. Yeah, we were. It was the British Army on film, if you missed it. And uh, on the day we were clash, uh, the clashing was clashing hard um, as um, the event gets bigger and bigger every year. And we were up against uh, none other than James uh, Holland and Al Murray with James May and Dermot O'Leary on the main stage, which... Yep. Big, big names. Yeah, and then on the other stage, we were up against Richard Dannett, Rob Lyman, and Peter Caddock Adams. And that's that, that they're two hard acts to to you know, try and draw a crowd from. But we had a we had a nice little um group of people and it grew out throughout the uh, the actual talk, which was nice. Um but you know, I think it made it a little bit more intimate, someone was saying. And yeah. They really I think the feedback we got on the day was really nice. So it was lovely. Was I, some lovely I was happy feedback. with how it went. Yeah. yeah, I think if hello, if you're a new listener, I had a few people coming up to me saying, I'll catch your talk, I'll caught your talk, I'll uh, I'll be listening. So if you're out there, hello. It's, it's funny though, isn't it? Because we wanted to go to both of those other talks. Yeah, we and we really were talking did. to Rob Lyman, who, you know, friend of the show, and we're like, oh, when are you on? And we was we, we said, oh, well, we're on exactly the same time you are. And we both wanted to go to each other's talks. So yeah. we were kind of like, oh, what can you do? Our good friends at Goalhanger have provided the actual audio from the presentation so we're gonna share that today and um hopefully everyone that didn't manage to make it or didn't you know didn't attend the festival will enjoy the talk i'm 
I'm excited to share it and see what everyone thinks about it because we worked really hard on it, you know, for quite yeah, a few months. Of course. So we went to some did some research at the BFI, um, yeah. bought some very expensive books on um <laughs> mass observation. Funny story, I bought a very expensive book called Mass Observation at the Movies. Um, I'm not gonna say how much it was on the show, um, but it was silly money. Um, and then about a week or two later, <laughs> when, when I was just in a local charity shop, I saw a copy of the book for about three quid and um, I nearly hit the floor. Um, I was like, how the hell is there another copy of this book that I've tracked down? Yeah, it's not the it most common book, is it really? But, no, not really. I was like, who's bought it that? It was useful though. It was very, very useful. Some great bits and bobs in there. Um, and we had a great day at the BFI. Um, looking at original reviews um, from their library, um, some great original pictures. We didn't end up using them um, because we were unsure on the usage um, policy there, so we didn't use them in, on the day. Um, but there, you know, there's some great things at the BFI, and we had a lovely old time in the screening room, didn't we? Watching stuff on like pipe missiles and <laughs> yeah, old in Afghanistan. Ed Woodward <laughs> hosted um battle like miniature war gaming shows and things like that in a right old time didn't we yeah no I, I ended up watching most of steel bayonet <laughs> yeah you did actually yeah <laughs> a really a very very nice rip of it too it was um, yeah. it was really nice um but yeah if you if you ever see us down at the bfi come watch a war film with us <laughs> i'm sure we can squeeze in the booth <laughs> <laughs> yeah some of those booths are comfy they very much um, are so i mean just before we actually you know roll the talk what were your favorite parts of the festival it's hard it's really hard to pinpoint what i love about we have ways fest but it's so great there's it's the whole thing of they're not there's not a barrier between the exhibitors the historians and and the people that are coming to attend the festival it's just such a yeah. nice vibe you can talk to everyone about so many things there's so many great talks and it's grown and grown so this year they had like a, a whole tent full of like vendors of military and books and DVDs and, and like war gaming demonstrations going on. And, and there was um, it's a, a mobile cinema, an old Bedford mobile cinema from the, the last 70s surviving there. The last Betty one cinema, showing, yeah. showing uh, film reels, which was amazing. So no, I just, it's really hard for me to pinpoint what I love. It's just, it's just so great. I think that's, I can't get, I can't choose one thing cause I'd be, I'd make orphans of everything else. Yeah, there, there was uh, that LRDG group was great. That was nice to see. Very cool. Those Chevys. Um, what else was there? I really enjoyed quite a few of the talks this year. I managed to actually, you know, see a few. Um, um, there was a couple of really great um, interviews with veterans. Yeah, just a lot of cool stuff. And uh, and Darren Nesbitt as well. You know, John oh, I mean, come incredible. on, like that. It was just the, the icing on the cake of an already very overly iced, delicious cake when he came <laughs> out. It was just my brain. I was, My brain and body were already melting from the heat. But when he came on, I was just floored. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It was incredible to get some first-hand stories from, you know, where Eagles Dare. Um, yeah, it was so but, great. As you mentioned, it, it was very warm. and Incredible. Uh, and the the, uh, the arsenal, the tent that we were we were in, was extremely warm because it's um it's like a like a, a perspex roof, yeah, yeah. Per perspex um, tent roof, and my god, it was warm in there. It was a little we over, um, but we we pulled through. We did. 
So without further ado, here's our talk on the British Army on film, 1939-1945, on quite literally the hottest stage of the weekend. Hello there, sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that you can now join our supporting cast over on Patreon. As thanks for your support, you'll be able to help us pick films, submit questions for guests, have first pick on brand new and exclusive match, and much more. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. Right, ladies and gentlemen, big round of applause and welcome to the stage, Robbie McGuire and Matthew Ross from the Fighting on Film Podcast. Hello, hello. Hello. Um, as we were introduced, we are from the Fighting on Film Podcast. Uh, we are a pair of military historians and writers. If you're familiar with the show, that's great. Thank you so much for being here. I know yeah. there's a couple of really great talks going on right now. Yeah. Uh, so we definitely appreciate. So what we want to talk about today is um, depictions of the British Army during the Second World War on film. Yeah. Um, and I think what we'll do is to start off, we'll ask you guys to shout out some films that you think are amongst the best depictions of the British Army. So shout out. Way ahead. Way ahead. See you, yeah. yeah. Longest day, cruel seas. Well, nine men, nine yes, men. yeah, we like that one. Way ahead, Way Zulu, ahead. yeah, they're not. Second World War, no, no, yeah. Bridge too far, Bridge too yeah, far. There nice. We, go. we like it, we like it. Yeah. Yeah. But great choices. I mean, you know, there's some top films there, really are. But respectfully, we think you're all wrong. Um, not everyone, because a couple not, actually yeah, said some, the one we Some do people think, but... ruin the gambit there, but anyway. To us, the British Army doesn't initially seem to have one definitive film you can put your kin in when you're thinking of the British Army fighting in the Second World War. Um, for the Navy, you can comfortably say the Cruel Sea, uh, you know, St. the Bismarck. They've got those keystone films that you can go to and think, right, that is a great depiction of the Navy fighting. Same for the RAF. They've got Battle of Britain, Angels 1-5 dambusters defining moments are on film captured for you to go and enjoy but we think that we have found a film that captures that spirit so we're going to take you through the theatres of war um, starting on the battle for France and we'll end with um, the fighting in uh, the Far East and we'll pick out some depictions talk about those films while we hold them while we like them and then at the end we think we found one film that captures that spirit and someone already said it um, <laughs> but yes Run VT, please. So that was just a taste of some of the films that we'll be talking about. So, starting off, we're going to take a look at the Battle of France. Of course, we've got Dunkirk, but we've also got interesting movies like The Former Went to France, The Weekend at Dunkirk, Channel Incident Atonement. It's got that great section yep. um, in, in there. And then we have a couple of honourable mentions. Um, but one that's close to my heart is um, Channel Incident. And... Um, released in October 1940, uh, it's special because it's the very first depiction of the Dunkirk evacuations on film. 
um, long before Mrs. Miniver and, and, um, and Dunkirk. It was filmed on a, on a tiny budget for um, the Ministry of Information, and it's just 10 minutes long. We could literally play you the whole thing right now, but we won't. It's on the Imperial War Museum. Yep, you can go out free. and check it out. Yep, yep. Um, it was directed by Anthony Asketh, um, who's probably best known for you know, uh, being a uh, well-respected film director, but um, if you've seen his 1931 film, Tell England, um, about Gallipoli, that's a phenomenal and very interesting movie. Um, it follows, the film itself follows a plucky protagonist, um, Peggy, who is piloting one of the little ships, looking for her husband, who is with uh, the Royal Engineers. Um, essentially, she sneaks across uh, man in the boat, and along the way she picks up a plucky Bren gunner, um, played by um, Robert Tanner, uh, sorry, Robert Newton, who, the character's name is Tanner, uh, Robert Newton, and um, you'll probably best recognize him as playing Long John Silver and, um, and Blackbeard in those 1950s Disney Technicolor movies. Yep. Um, the film also stars a young uh, Kenneth Griffith, um, and if you've seen The Wild Geese, which is a personal favourite of ours, you'll, you'll know him as Witty, the medic. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it goes without saying there's some really good Bren gun action in the film as well. However, the film wasn't entirely received with you know, glowing praise at the time, um, and, and certainly the, the opinion at the time, which was, uh, was printed in the documentary newsletter, is really interesting. So I'm just going to read you that because it says, Channel Instant is a flaming insult to the men of Dunkirk um, and to the men and women um, of the little boats. A flaming insult indeed to the British people to reduce the great story to the terms of a middle-class female chuntering back and forth across the channel, rescuing soldiers only incidentally while she searches for her husband. If ever a film symbolized the mental outlook by which Britain could lose this war, Channel Incident did it. And it was a splendid to note the disgust and either frigid or vocal um, which, with which it was received by many public audiences. So Scathing. Scathing review from 1940. Yeah. But at the same time, it's the very first depiction of... Yeah. You know, and of, it's actually not bad. There's some quite nice, rare stock footage used in it too. Um, and you know it's worth checking out if you haven't. So the film I've picked out for uh, my depiction of the Battle for France is 1958's Dunkirk, directed by Leslie Norman, uh, dad of Barry Norman, the famous BBC film critic, um, superior in my mind to Nolan's 2017 film, um, starring John Mills as Corporal, uh, Tubby Binns, Ronald Hines, Meredith Edwards, Richard Attenborough, released on March 20th, 1958, costing only £400,000, shot the Dunkirk scenes on Canberra Sands, um, and for us, you know, it does a really good job of showing that operation, not just on the beaches, it's inland as well. That's something that I think gets lost in the narrative of Dunkirk anyway. And for Dunkirk, the movie to do that is very good and representative. You know, Nolan's film didn't really do that. Um, so I think that's why it's important. And uh, Kinematograph Weekly published some thoughts on the film from uh, the, around the time of its release, and they said, a powerful and factual story Flawless acting and direction, penetrating detail, magnificent camera work, compelling patriotism, um, terrific climax, and a magic title. Um, and stuff Nolan, watch Norman, and you don't have to suffer Harry Styles' awful delivery. Next slide, mate. Thank you. So, moving on to the, the desert campaign in North Africa, um, a film that is 
one of my personal favorites. It's a, um, a Hammer film, yep. Steel Bayonet from 1957. And it's, it's a great combat film, and it's very rare that you get a straight combat film with um, depictions of the British Army at this period. There's always, you know, we've got Ice Cold, where it's, 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 a, it's an ambulance, it's it, or you've got um, it's some kind of deception, or it's the LRDG in the desert. Yeah. It, this is, it follows, the film follows a company of regular infantry defending a forward observation post against um, the Wehrmacht. And what, what do we like more? Anything more than it's a last stand film. It's a last stand we film. We love a last stand it's film. It's got Peter in it too. Sorry? It's got Peter in there as it well. It does. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm getting to that, don't oh, worry. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> so the film stars uh, Leo Gen and his platoon are defending this crucial ob observation point. Um, yeah, there's a lot of. Um, it, it feels like the film harks back to you know films like The Way Ahead um, in its sort of. Um, the way it's structured and yeah. the way it introduces characters. It's very it's very, very common for the, you know, the period. Um, but as I said, it's a, it's a straight down the line Last Stand film um, with some really you know, capable character actors, uh, including uh, Private Middlewich, played by Michael Ripper, who is always on hand with a cup of tea right to the very end, the very end for him. Um, yeah. He goes down with that mug in his hand. He does, yeah. he does. Um, as I said, it's close to my heart because it, it's probably the second film uh, only to feature the Piet. Yeah, it is. Um, yeah. Uh, after there's is the glory. And that was a fighting on film first because we uncovered that one. Yeah, yeah, it was. <laughs> um, and of course, you've got Leo Gen on a Bren, which you know, not only is it great, but it's great alliteration. Mm -hmm. um, Steel Bayonet brings a, a scale and a grit, um, which is underlined by. A somewhat surprising nuance amongst the characters. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really strong depiction of the British Army in North Africa. Um, the film received slightly lukewarm reception in 1957, um, and it was released in at least some areas as a double feature with the fuzzy pink nightgown. So that would have been a cracking night yeah. out at the cinema, I think. Yeah, a, a romantic comedy of the, you know, Leo getting on a Bren. <laughs> <laughs> So I've picked out The Way Ahead from 1944, and it's based upon a 1943 film um, made by the Army Kinematic Unit called The New Lot. Um, and Carol Reed is uh, re you know, got back in to produce The Way Ahead as a commercial version of that movie. Has a lot of the same cast, but they get David Niven in as the lead. Um, and it, you know, it's got some great character actors of the day, like John Laurie, Raymond Huntley, a young Peter Ustinov and uh, William Hartnell, um, who obviously went on to be the first Doctor Who. Um, and like the new lot, it's a recruitment tool. It's all about um, you know, men coming together from all walks of life, having to learn how to live together, how to fight together, training. Um, and they, you know, men are clipped, men come from the factories. They learn how to get on, and it's, that's a very cool message of that movie. Um, and it's, yeah, so it was released um, around the time of the D-Day invasion. It's only about three days after. And a review uh, from the Yorkshire Post said, a more fitting film could scarcely have been put on at this time of invasion. And it's uh, important to me because it's a film that shows the army as it was. It was a volunteer army, men from walks of life, and it's got some cracking acting in it. And Niven's great in it. And Niven is, you know, yeah. he's Niven. So the next one off that list that we we're gonna just highlight is um, Sahara. Um, which was directed by uh, Zoltan Korda. And it's, it's Humphrey Bogart leading a ragtag group of uh, 
survivors across the desert following an M3 tank. And it's, it's an interesting film in that it tries to bring together not only you know, the American um, soldiers, but it also includes members of the Commonwealth as well. So one of the interesting depictions of uh, the British Army in, in the film is um, the British medical officer that joins the party, um, played by Richard Ahern. And he provides a thoughtful moral foil to um, Bogie's grizzled and sometimes hard-pressed NCO. Um, so, obviously, again, it's a Last Stand film. Another and one. We love a Last Stand film. We do. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, um, a print of the film was actually uh, sent as a training aid to General Eisenhower. And a report in the Kino Kinematograph Weekly uh, in December 1943 detailed the contents of the letter sent to him. Um, by Major General Walker um, of 20 Corps. Um, and it, it basically said, it, was, it is hoped that this picture will aid in providing entertainment to the troops under your command, many of whom received their early training under conditions portrayed therein. Uh, meaning yeah. the Californian desert. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the next film here um, from the Desert War that we like is Sea of Sand. And it's the only film at the moment to feature a portrayal of the LRDG. Uh, Richard Attenborough stars Michael Craig, John Gregson, Percy Herbert, a real another cast of great British character actors. Filmed in location on Libya, um, fans of BBC Rogue Heroes might recognise some of the scenes of the Chevys bouncing up and down from that weird punk rock montage they did. Um, and... The film's technical advisor was Bill Kennedy Shaw, who served in both the LIDG and SAS. And it's just a rare depiction of special forces in the desert campaign. Play Dirty does it, but it doesn't do it to the same level as Sea of Sand. Yeah. Um, and the film reviewed very well at the time, and it was uh, put uh, out as a double feature alongside American crime drama Hong Kong Affair, and it was said to have done very good business in 1958. And then the last film that we've chosen to portray the uh, Desert War is something that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily think it would, but the Red Beret from 1953, not only does it recreate the Bruneval Raid, which, you know, is the only depiction of that on film at yeah. the moment, but it also shows paratroop actions in North Africa. Um, the film's held back, though, by its lead, played by Adam Ladd, who is chewing the scenery in every scene. Um, and he's an American pretending to be a Canadian, and he just seems really out of place the whole movie. He just doesn't look like he's fit. It's like they wanted to go and get Robert Mitchum, but they couldn't get Mitchum, so they got Alan Ladd. Um, but the film, you know, has a good supporting cast helping him. It's got Harry Andrews, Leo Gain, um, and a pre-crawl C, Stanley Baker, and they kill him off, and I will never forgive them. And they in that overdub movie. him as well. And they overdub him, and they it's kill him off. Travesty. Anyway, but seek it out for its depiction of Operation Biting. Apart from that, you know, I wouldn't really say it's fantastic. However, we've just picked five um, Desert War films. That's just indicative of how many British Army films focus on that campaign, because it's when we started winning. M making movies about defeat aren't fun. You know, you want to you go home afterwards thinking, yeah, we won the day, and those films do have that in there. Yeah, there's, there's that element of um, success, victory, plucky, yeah. you know, against the odds yeah, kind exactly. of stuff. So this is kind of a subgenre, I would say, to the British Army on film, in, in more films. Um, the POW film, and there's quite a few of them. Um, and again, I think it plays into that plucky resolve, you know, yeah. adverse situations. Um, we've got The Captive Heart in 46, Called It Story in 55, Bridge on the River Kwai, uh, Password is Courage, Great Escape, Camp on Blood Island, The Hill, um, Wooden Horse, and of course, 
Escape to Victory, um, that absolute classic. <laughs> so the, the, one of the ones I want to highlight, which is I think one of the more interesting ones, um, in the goes with a, a quite a different tone, is the password is Courage from 1962, which stars uh, Det Beauregard, and he plays Sergeant Major Charles Coward. Um, and it's perhaps one of the most intriguing British-focused POW films. Um, and it's based on uh, a sort of novel come memoir that, that Coward himself actually published in 1954. Um, but what it does is it bypasses some of Coward's more harrowing experiences. Um, he was captured in Calais in 1940, uh, and he was transferred to a number of different prison camps. And the film essentially tells the story of him moving from camp to camp because he is a troublemaker. He's a bit like Hicks in Great Escape mm. in that he's always escaping. Um, but for Coward, the, the, the interesting thing is that he was actually in 1943 transferred to a camp very near to Auschwitz III, um, Monowitzer. And he, he was recognized in, in the 50s and 60s as, as actually um, helping to... Uh, smuggle out a number of, of Jewish uh, uh, prisoners, uh, inmates. And uh, he also gave evidence at the Nuremberg trial. None of this, which I think is, you know, it's a fascinating element of his, you know, his life and story, but none of this is actually covered in the film because the film is such a lighthearted romp moving from camp to camp. He's escaping in various different yeah. funny ways. It's, it's an interesting sort of um, drama comedy. Yeah. Um, Okay, so I've chosen The Wooden Horse from 1950, another Leo Gen film. Tell the actors we like on the show. Um, Anthony Steele, David Tomlinson star. Uh, it's based upon Eric Williams' 1949 book of the same name, detailing his escape from Stalag III in 1943. Again, plays Williams under the guise um, of Peter Howard. Um, the film shows the ingenuity of prisoners of war quite well. You know, they make the wooden horse to escape him. Um, and it's summed up by the opening title card of the film. It is the hope of nearly every prisoner of war, if not indeed his duty, to escape and rejoin his unit. Um, it's a bare-bones production. There's not a lot of bells and whistles. And, you know, it's not like The Great Escape, where it's got every star you've ever known on screen at once. Um, and it, feel, it proved really popular at the box office. It really hits with the 1950 audience. And it echoed that boom of all those other prisoner of war movies after it, like Albert R.N., the one that got away, all things like that. Yeah. It's, it's the wooden horse that kicks off that power genre. Next slide. Yeah. Oh, no, we have and the last film in our um, roundup of power films is one that is on the other spectrum of the power genre. It's 1965's The Hill by Sidney Lumet. Um, he's you know, the director of Dog Day Afternoon, Serpico. And it portrays something you don't usually see in a British Army films, which is the glass house, the army prisons. And it's got Sean Connery um, giving a, you know, probably one of the greatest performances of his entire career. Um, yeah. he, did, he took the film to stop doing James Bond to not be typecast. Um, and it was shot in Malaga in Spain. They built the full prison, full-scale prison. The hill is the right shape and size that they say in the film. They're really going up it, really coming back down it. You feel the heat beating down on the parade ground. Um, and the, the hill is never far from view. And unlike many uh, war films that we're talking about today, it, does, it has this grittiness and this evil meanness to people. Um, there's no stiff upper lips at all. Um, and it tackles themes that are also never really directly addressed in British war movies um, of the time. So this is why I think Lumet's take on it 
is so interesting. It deals with themes of broken men um, and you know, exhausted from war and the mental toll that incarceration can bring. Um, and it also has themes like closeted homosexuality, anti-establishment themes. These things aren't explored in British war movies of that golden era, and maybe even now. Yeah, They're not really explored, and Lume brought that to the fore. And it was a very popular movie at the time, um, nominated for five BAFTAs. Harry Andrews took home the only BAFTA of his career for uh, Best British Actor. Um, and it is an absolute triumph. So that's If you hell. haven't seen it, watch it. No, yeah. Next slide, please, mate. Yeah, Italian campaign. There aren't any really, but we've, we did some digging and we found two, two kind of little things. So we can have the next slide, please. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, can you guess what the films are? Any guesses? Anyone? So on the left, you've got Anzio which is a Peter Falk um, and Robert Mitchum movie. Yep. And then on the, the, the right here... You've got Tea with Mussolini from 1995. Um, and the... Um, the kit in it is shocking. <laughs> awful. Scott's guards have ne never been so poorly represented. And the, that's really odd, that film, because they come in right at the end. And what it does, instead of having, you know, shooting your own scenes, it lifts the sequence from A Bridge Too Far when 30 Corps get hit from the tree line just shot for shot, nicks it, and then these Scots guards come out of a woods, and it's as if they've, like, cut it in, and, th and that's it. And you mentioned that we were just sitting there with disbelief. Yeah, it's, it's a bizarre one, because it's, it's that entire... It's not even, it's not even cut. It's the, it's, an enti it's the entire sec yep. section of... Original audio and everything. It's so bizarre. But we really are sorely lacking films set in the Italian theatre. Yeah, we um, really, really are. Um, so apparently, um, John Irving of uh, Irving of uh, Hamburg Hill fame was set to make a Monte Cassino film with our, you know, very good friend Peter Caddick Adams to set to be the advisor on it, but it never got to pre-production. So maybe one day we'll get an Italian war film, but we haven't got one yet. We can only hope. We can only hope. So at the moment, ChatGPT is all the rage, and we thought, you know what, we'll jump on the bandwagon and we'll ask, ask it for its own personal list of, you know, its top British Army in, in war films list. And it, it didn't do too bad. No, it got a few wrong. Some, some of them a bit, yeah. <laughs> and those pictures were auto-generated, um, and we just put British war film in, and they are absolutely shocking. No idea what's going on. I don't know on. what's going on there. Um, <laughs> 
Next. It's not going to replace artists anytime no soon. No, Put no, it that no, way. No, no, no. Next slide, please. So there we have Northwest Europe, 44-45. Um, and there, isn't, there aren't as many as you might think there. I think um, there are a lot more American films about that period of the war than British ones. Um, but the ones we've chosen, uh, you know, probably fans of the show, you'll probably know. Um, but theirs is The Glory from 1946, a film just months after Operation Market Garden, using many of the same men um, from First Airborne Division who were brought down from Norway, where they were uh, serving at the end of the war. They get brought down to film this film. Um, Brian Desmond Hurst directs. Um, he had had some success in the war by uh, directing the film Lion Has Wings. Um, and for example, it's just it's such a... It's such a unique film. It's filmed in Arnhem. The, the town is still smashed. It's got the same men fighting the same battles that they fought months previously. Um, and there's a story of a, a soldier going to the end of a garden in Oosterbeek, finding a HSAT helmet next to a foxhole he dug with his friend. And the family are at the window. He looks up at them. They run away. They come out about 10 minutes later. And they go, are you such and such? And he goes, yeah, I am. And they like touch him and feel his smock and everything else. And they're like, are you a ghost? And he says, no, no, I'm filming a movie. <laughs> um, and he helped bury his friend who had been um, killed in the war. So a lot of that happened. A lot of men found it quite therapeutic going back and reliving these scenes. Um, and it's fantastic. It's got Tiger 131 in it, in its only second appearance in yep. film. Um, it's it's a, a triumph, and it's got probably one of the best representations of Piet on film. It's two cracking Piet sections. One of them, I think, we, we showed there with Dixon um, putting down his cooking and yeah. running outside to take out take on the panther, which the, the tiger, rather. I know it is a panther, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, there we go. But it's, it's a film close to our heart because... <laughs> It's the first one we ever did on the show. It's our very episode one yeah, of Fighting on Film. That's the whole reason the show exists. is the glory. Um, mm, well, there we are. And it is the most phenomenal film because... So good. It's depicting the British Army with members of the British Army, you know, yeah. literally months after the battle that they're actually portraying in yeah, the film. It? It's, yeah. it's unique in that respect. It's yeah. really interesting. For me, I've chosen uh, The Longest Day, which, you know, it's a true epic, um, hugely ambitious film, massive budget, um, and while it's got scale going for it, of course, there's some inaccuracies and inconsistencies. But despite this, it boasts probably one of the broader representations of the British Army um, in Northwest Europe, showing the Bolshe Bren gunner, Sean Connery, wading ashore um, with 3rd Infantry Division at Saw Beach. You've got Richard Todd leading the Oxen Books, um, the attack on the bridge. Um, and of course, we all know that Todd took part in the actual battle himself. You're not allowed to mention that movie without saying that. It's like exactly. contractually obliged. Yeah. Yeah. I can't not say it. it um, it's just a really interesting conglomeration of um, actors and director. And they, they bring together one of the most ambitious yeah. films of, mm. of its day, I think. Um, and it's a rare occasion that Hollywood places a sort of almost equal emphasis on the British army alongside the American army. Um, it's one of the few films where we're equally represented. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, not, that's rare if it's, you know, yeah. it's, it's a more of an American We're not blamed picture. for stopping at Arnhem Bridge to make tea. You know, we're not, we're not blamed for anything, which is quite nice. <laughs> so the one, the last film I've chosen from the section uh, is They Were Not Divided. Um, it was written by Terence Young, who actually helped write theirs as the glory. And it's the only film to date that depicts the British Armoured Regiment's experience of the war. Um, concentrating on the guards, 
armoured division as they train and they get you know, ready to go and be deployed and they end up in Normandy in 1944. They go all the way through northwest Europe, fighting Operation Market Garden, ending up fighting in the Battle of the Bulge. It's probably the only film that might ever represent the British um, part of, of the Battle of the Bulge. Um, we just don't get mentioned when that's talked about very often. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, it's not the best film in the world. I think it, I, I almost surmised that they wanted to make something a lot grander, but they didn't get the budget. So you just, you get the cast that you get. It's, um, Chum, um, what's his name? Trubshaw, David Niven's friend is the lead. Um, and it's just, he's good, but like he's no Niven. So you're always thinking, mm, it could be better with someone a little bit more famous in it. And I think it's hurt yeah. it over the years. Yeah. Um, the print of it is shocking. Um, that they put out. So if you do want to watch it, it's not your your DVD's not broken. It's just a very fuzzy print, um, and it's got Tiger One Three One in it as well um, in its uh, last film role that it was in until it was in Fury. So it's got that going for it, I it guess. Does, yeah. <laughs> next slide, please. So next we have the Far East, and um, very few there films are many here. At all. I mean, we can obviously we could put a bridge too far into this camp, but. We thought we'd leave it in the, the POW subgenre section earlier. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah, so the Far East, um, there's not many of them. And I, as I say again, I think it's more American representation in that is that there's a lot more films about them fighting in the Pacific and the Far East. Um, but Yes, It Is Enemy from 1959, it's made by Hammer Films um, as a response to the really controversial Camp on Blood Island that caused an absolute fury the year before. It got banned in some cinemas. Um, you know, uh, people who had been in you know, prison camps were in uproar about it. It really didn't do very well for Hammer. So they create a responses show men fighting in the Far East. It's uh, got uh, Sally Baker playing this really hard-boiled, grizzly um, officer who feels like he's come up from the ranks. He's not your typical clip, stiff upper lip officer. He's very thuggish, brutal. He, he will do things that you don't necessarily think of a British officer to do. So he attempts to control the aftermath of a firefight in a Burmese village, and a suspected Japanese informant is captured, and Baker needs to get information out of him. And the way he does it, he gets a firing squad, and he tries to get, he you know, has some prisoners of war, tries to get the man to talk. And he says, if you don't talk, I'll shoot the prisoners. The man doesn't talk, the prisoners are killed. And a lot of the men aren't happy about it. Um, but the tables are turned on Baker um, when a larger Japanese force comes and overpowers them. Um, and he is faced, he's, he faces the same treatment. So it's a tale about morality, men fighting, you know, how far do you go? You know, I've committed a war crime, but I almost, it's almost saying to you, he needed to do that to get the information to help his men. It's a very moral quandary. And for a Hammer Studios film made for about two bob, <laughs> it's, um, it's very well done. And completely studio-based, very good. Uh, well, The Long, The Short and The Tall from 1961 is also entirely studio-bound. So it's, it's a taut studio-bound picture, but the set design is very impressive. They, they had modular, um, stages that they could move around so that they could mm. make, the, make the jungle look as dense as they possibly could. Um, and there's some, there's some really enthralling performances. Um, it's, built, it's based on uh, Wills, Hay, Wills Hall's um, uh, play, and it boasts an impressive cast, including Richard Todd, uh, Lawrence Harvey, and um, a young Richard Harris. Um, the film follows a, a cut-off patrol, um, which is bickering and clashing with itself 
Um, and this boils over when it's decided to kill a Japanese prisoner because he's slowing them down. Again, it's, it's one of those moral morality pictures yeah. where they try and explore men thrust into a difficult mm. situation. Um, the cast bring their A game um, with Harvey playing a classic barrack room lawyer and Harris plays a pragmatic coward. Um, and there's also some excellent Thompson action in both films um, when the patrols are very nice. at the end. Yeah. So, next slide, please. So, pause. so there we go. A show of hands, how many people have seen Nine Men? Let's see now. We oh, we love one, it. Two, We'd love three, to four. see it. We've got about five there. That's not bad. That's better That's than, you know, probably before we it's, did the it's show on it. It's such an obscure <laughs> film. It because really, really is. It just never gets shown on TV because it's just 106 minutes long. So I feel like TV doesn't know what to do with it. it. They can't. Can't, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for those that haven't seen the film, what's Nine Men about? Um, yep. The film follows uh, nine British soldiers who are lost in the midst of a battle in the North African desert. And the men stumble into an isolated, uh, it's described as a tomb, apparently, yeah. in a lot of the reviews, but I, I never got that Some when I watched it. Heart, a tomb, <laughs> yeah. Not, but, yeah. Um, and they face off against a much larger Italian force, um, and the film basically evolves into a last stand. And we love last stands. Um, <laughs> And we learn about the various different social backgrounds of the, of the men. It's a simple film, but one that nails the characterization of the British Army of the day, I think. Yeah, so why was Nine Men made? In, in 1943, Ealing Studios had really changed and started to develop how they wanted to continue making war movies. So before, you know, they're making light comedies with George Formby and Gracie Fields, but then they started to produce films that were in more grittier, grounded, realistic styles. So you get San Dimitro London, um, and, uh, off the top of my head, can't remember one now, anyway. Um, they drew directing talents away from the Crown Film Unit and other studios to really get the best of the best documentary filmmaking talent of the day, um, such as Alberto uh, Cavalcanti, who directed Went the Day Well, uh, but Harry Watt um, is, is plucked to, two, to do nine men, and he is famous for uh, directing Target for Tonight, um, and London can take it, and Nine Men was Harry's first feature, and he would later win an uh, Academy Award, an honorary one, in 1942, I think? Yeah, 43. Yeah. yeah. And the film was released in February 1943, uh, at the height of the Tunisian campaign, and just before the, uh, the acclaimed Desert Victory, um, which came out a couple of months later, um, and also went on to win a, an Oscar. Uh, in, in some areas, Nine Men um, returned to the screens as a double feature, with, uh, with Desert Victory, yeah. uh, which, which definitely helped it. Um, and to put the film into some context, we know from the mass observation surveys that some of 1943's most popular films included the likes of The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, The First of the Few, Mrs. Miniver, and of course, Bambi. Interestingly, um, later in the same year, uh, Corder's uh, Sahara is released with Humphrey Bogart, which we've already mentioned, um, on a much larger budget um, and with, some, with a quite similar plot, um, but lacking um, some of the charm, which makes Nine Men more endearing, I think. Yeah, so how was, how was Nine Men made? So it was Harry, Harry's debut feature, as I mentioned, filmed at Margam Sands in Glamorgan in Wales, um, that were filled in for the deserts of North Africa. Uh, Watt also wrote the film, and Michael Balk Balkan, um, the frequent Ealing collaborator, produced... Um, Kinematograph Weekly reported on November 5th, 1942, detailing information on the production. 
saying, Umpity Poo now becomes nine men. 32 men of the London Irish Rifles have been on call for the prologue scenes of the picture, which Sergeant Jack, Sergeant, played by Jack Lambert, begins a tale of the nine men's desert adventure. Director Harry Watts says, in order to appear in the film, three of the, three of the London Rifles, um, London Irish Rifles, asked to have their leave postponed. Such a request... Um, such a request is said to be an unprecedented in the history of the battalion and men of the South Wales borderers also ate the shoot. Um, and Kinematograph Weekly also revealed the same month that filming had been completed in November and the film's runtime, as we mentioned, is very small. So it's, it's an ambitious project, but it seems like they're not throwing too much at it just in case it fails. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the budget for the film was a relatively modest 20,000, which today is about 700,000 pounds. Um, so not insignificant, but certainly a fraction of the 200,000 that was spent to make Life and Death of Colonel Blimp in the same year. Um, to put the films into a bit more budget, uh, a bit more of a sort of um, context, 20,000 at the time would have bought you one and three quarter Covenant tanks. They were about 12,000 pounds at the time. Um, and of course, they appear in the film. They, they arrive yeah. at the end to save the day. Yeah, grown men cry when those tanks come over the hill, all right? <laughs> So we really feel that Nine Men is perhaps the greatest depiction of the British Army on film um, in the Second World War, because it was filmed at the time, um, and the tide was turning in favour of the Allies at the time. Um, and it acted, in my mind, like a metaphor, like the way ahead. You know, it's about, it's about holding on, subtly telling the audience, like, you know, we're in it now, we can fight now, we can win. And if we've got, if we've got to hold on for a little bit longer, the reinforcements will come, and we will win the day. And, it, and it's going to be hard, it's going to be bloody, but if you hold on, the battle can be won. Yeah, it takes on that classic format, again, of The Last Stand, and it evokes you know, the familiar setting of the isolated outpost uh, that audiences of the 1930s and 40s would have been really familiar with from you know, many popular westerns and also that whole genre of you know, French foreign uh, legion films. Uh, the film begins with Lambert's character, um, and he's pulling a new platoon of recruits through their paces, and he recounts this story of his time in North Africa, one of those desert shows. And he emphasizes you know, the importance of being smart, aggressive, and using your training. He calls it un petit pas, a little something extra. And the film was going to be called Un Petit Peu, which is a, a typical squaddy uh, aberration of, of, <laughs> of French. But again, terrible name. They definitely made a, an improvement when they went with um, Nine Men. Thanks to the mass observation surveys, we know that at least one serving soldier thought of what he thought of the, of the film. Uh, recorded simply as soldier aged 22 from Salford, he told the survey that the best war film I've seen this year was Nine Men. I like it because it was so true to life. It was clearly presented and with purpose. Similarly, a steel worker from Scotland also felt the film probably represented what it was like in North Africa, saying that might be what it would have been like in the North African campaign. So the film is gritty, brutal, and a little bit ahead of its time in the way it depicts that. Um, so much like Went the Day Well, um, the year before, another reeling film, what doesn't skimp on at the time that was a very, very grounded and realistic approach to filming combat. Men fall, they don't get back up, they just slump down. There's none of this, ah, you know, like you get in a western. There's nothing like that. Um, and it doesn't show away, shy away from showing men grappling with each other, stabbing each other hitting each other, um, and the extreme close-ups really show the fear and emotion. Harry Watts using every trick in the documentary-making book to really show the emotions of these men. Um, and there's no stiff upper lips um, in, the, like, in this one. And it's, it's not 
it's not something I think they would have made in even the 50s afterwards. I don't think it would have no, been I made. Um, and Lambert, you know, even tells his men to use um, their boys' anti-tank gun against troops at the end because they don't have much ammunition left. Um, and that's quite shocking, even now. Um, you know, the decision to fire that rifle at somebody is no mean feat. Um, and machetes and bayonets are bought, and clubs, and, and, and the men are you know, beating and hitting each other. And there's even cursing. There's one use of the word bastard in there, which, you know, not a, bad, not a massive swear, but it's in there. In the context of the day, it probably, you know, fairly yeah. strong. Um, and you mentioned that the, the boys' anti-tank rifle, it's probably one of the only on-film, like... Depictions of depictions that weapon. Depictions of, of, of yeah. the, the boys' anti-tank rifle actually being used. You know. So, to conclude, uh, the British Army, during the Second World War, well not, although not fully represented on every front, um, when the hell are we going to get a Madagascan invasion film, guys? <laughs> or even a Kohima movie? Um, we hope the films that we pull together have given like a well-rounded, as much as we can, um, view of, of depicting the army going from defeat at Dunkirk to fighting and winning in the desert to eventually getting over the channel and winning the war. <laughs> so whether they're big budget portrayals like The Longest Day or micro-budgeted Ministry of Information um, productions, the way we view the wartime British Army on the silver screen um, has seeped into our cultural fabric. Films like Nine Men, The Steel Bayonet, and countless others have cemented the things that we hold dear around our armed forces, um, such as their pluck, their determination in difficult situations when all seems lost. The best of the portrayals show them as capable and professional, but don't shy away from the human flaws uh, and, and the and they're a mirror to the reality uh, of an army that was composed of men from many different walks of life and backgrounds coming together to fight a common enemy. So we hope you enjoyed that, and thank you very much for coming in and listening to us. You know, yeah. Obviously, there were some great talks on the other yeah, stages, so we definitely appreciate you popping by to listen to us chat about the yeah. British Army on film. Thank you very much. So there we are. That was our talk. I hope you really enjoyed it. I um, hope there's some little tidbits from uh, the British Army on film there that sort of wet your whistle. If you want more on Nine Men, we did a whole review on it a few months ago. Or it might be even a year ago now. It could be a um, bit longer now, yeah. It really could um, be. But we did we did do a full episode on it, yeah. Um, uh, we're going to put up the the lists from each of the, the theatres that we talked about uh, up on the, the website, fightingonfilm.com. Um, and incidentally, you can find our entire backlog. I say backlog, I mean back catalog of um, of uh, episodes over there. So if you've missed anything like Nine Men, if you haven't seen Nine Men or listened to our episode on it, that's a good place to start. And I think the only thing that remains is for us to to thank, you know, Alan James for inviting us along again and the whole Goldhanger yep. team, for, you know, for organizing Tony, the Dom, event. Um, Callum, you know who you guys are, like, you know, some of the best technical guys in the biz, really great. Exactly. Make you feel so welcome. Um, it was just great to see everyone, friends, old and new, um, lining up some new guests, seeing some, you know, guests that we've had on in the past and lining up some new episodes with them. Really exciting yeah. stuff coming along, I think. Yeah, and really in a couple do. of weeks, we've got our 150th episode. Yeah, um, we do. We do. And we're, we're still... not going to drop what we're doing for that no, 150th. It's, it's going to be nothing too glamorous. You know, um, it's not going to be 
a huge guest or anything like that, me and Matt are going to do a very grounded 150. We're going to mm-hmm. pick a film we both really enjoy. Um, so that's coming Classic. up. Yeah, and yeah, just keep it fof for all of your war movie reviews um, and more. And we'll catch you again next week for another war movie review. See you next time, folks. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.